Hello, and welcome to the Belmont Story Project. I'm Nancy McMenemy McComb, and today is September 12, 2019. I'm speaking with Hal Learson, who is a longtime Belmont resident, has someone who's lived in Belmont for more than 48 years, and he is a Navy veteran on active duty and Naval Reserve, both, for a combined 33 years, and is now retired. So um, thank you very much for coming in. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Nancy. I appreciate your having me. Okay. Uh, so I know you wanted to talk uh, a bit about your childhood in Portland and what you remember of the Great Depression. So um, what would you what would you like to tell us okay, about? Okay, I, I think that my childhood gave me the beginnings of what my thought process began and how I feel today and what I, my thoughts were built up. For instance, uh, I... I Remember, I was, I, well, I guess I should say I was born in Bangor, Maine, mm-hmm. but I moved from, at the age of five to Portland, and I grew up in Portland through high school. Uh, now, I remember the Depression. Mm-hmm. I remember, for instance, people working for the, C, for the uh, WPA, the PWA, CCC, the Civilian and Conservation Corps. That's a, correct. The yeah. Civilian Conservation Corps. And I those were kind of Roosevelt's. Oh, they were uh, all they were all Roosevelt. All Roosevelt. Problems. And in those days, and, and I, this is the, in those days, nobody was on the dole, so to speak. All right. If you were on the dole, which these people in effect were, you were producing something. Mm-hmm. All right. The CCC built great parks around the country. I can remember driving up into New Hampshire and watching them at work with my parents. Uh, I can remember uh, people in our neighborhood putting in sewerage pipes. They work for the WPA. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, it was just a fine thing, and we we even had live-in relatives because my father had a job, and they didn't, and they came and lived with us mm-hmm. part of the time. How big a house did you have? How many? Ah, uh, there were two two at usually that were living there. My mother's bridesmaid from Rhode Island, and my first cousin from Rhode Island, who was at that point, I think, still in high school. Yeah. Uh, and how old were you during this time, roughly? Well, I was born in 1932, mm-hmm. so I was, uh, I, uh, well, I... You were, I, yo- you were a youngster. I was, I was young. I, I, I guess I was about, what, what uh, 41, 32, that would be nine years old, mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor. Okay. 19. Yeah, and I know you wanted to talk about that as well. Well, I... I remember the announcement. Uh, we were sitting in the living room on Sunday, and I can remember the radio coming on with an announcement about Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And everybody was shocked. Nobody expected anything like that. Right. Uh, but living at that point in Portland, I saw Portland get ready for war. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there were sandbags around the cellar windows in our school. Uh, it's a fairly good-sized school. We had two grades for each grade up through the sixth. Uh, we used to have air raid drills, go down to the basement so the sandbags would protect us if anything happened. Yeah. Did that make your kids nervous, or did it seem, do you remember any of that? I don't particularly remember being nervous. We felt well protected, mm-hmm. but there was always the feeling of what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, now, uh, Sorry, we had no, we had air raid drills, uh, yeah. at, you know, at home. You everybody have to get out of their house and go out in the street, and the, the fire warden would show you how he was going to put incendiary bombs out with sand. And mm-hmm. 
I mean, you, you were very attuned to the fact that we were at war. They mm -hmm. didn't want you to forget that. Uh, I can remember gun emplacements around the city that were anti-aircraft guns. I can remember guns at Fort Preble, and they would broadcast an announcement on the radio saying, everybody in the Cape Elizabeth area, take your dishes off the shelves to, tomorrow because we're going to have practice firing. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and there were occasional. So you took your dishes off the shelf because they were going to be. We, no, we didn't. I live far enough away, but oh, I could okay. hear them. But yeah. but we didn't. It did not shake the house. But that's why they were asking people. They were doing in Cape yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I lived in Portland proper. Okay. Uh, but the the interesting thing was that occasionally, all of a sudden in the middle of the night, you'd hear the guns rumble, mm -hmm. and what that was is they would catch a submarine on the surface, out at sea. Now, they weren't going to hit him. They knew that. Mm -hmm. All right, But the idea was if they could keep him down under the water, he couldn't recharge his batteries, and he was not as efficient as it would be if he could come up and recharge every night. So okay. they would just try and get him to submerge. So these are German sub actual German subs were actual off the coast. Actual German submarines, and I can remember wreckage oh. coming ashore. Because mm -hmm. uh, occasionally they would hit occasionally something. Occasionally it hit something, and it would eventually wash ashore. Uh, Portland itself, Casco Bay, it's located on Casco Bay, it's a lot of islands, they used to say 365 islands, but they counted rocks as islands in okay. those days, but so. some of them were inhabited. Yep. They sunk ships between the islands and did other things and barricaded it so there was only one entrance, and it became the northern fleet anchorage for the American Navy in World War II. Mm -hmm. You would drive up onto the bay, the uh, promenade, the eastern promenade, which faced out over the bay, and you could look out and you could see battleships, carriers, cruisers, all kinds of ships. Mm. There was an ammunition depot out in the harbor and a mm -hmm. fuel depot in the harbor. Uh, the population of the city went from just under 50,000 to about 80,000. And those were uh, military men in there. That was when military men and their families moved in and, and civilians because the across the bay in South Portland was a shipyard that launched Liberty ships and victory ships, and mm -hmm. they were launching about one a week. Mm -hmm. And I can remember going up on the promenade and looking over. They wouldn't let you stop. You mm -hmm. couldn't stop to take pictures or anything, but yeah. I can remember going up and you'd watch, if you timed it right, you could watch one come down the ways on Sundays. They always watched Down the ways? That, that's, they built them on ways, you know, slid them down into the water. Okay, wow. It was always done on a Sunday. Wow. Uh, so, you know. Did you see men and women working in the shipyards at the time, just... I, you do you know, remember that much? Well, I do know that much. Uh, let me say this. There were a lot of women that worked, but you didn't see them. They wouldn't let you go into the shipyards or anything. You couldn't visit them. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, know, we knew people who worked there. Mm -hmm. you know, and they, they, it was a time when men were being replaced by women. So sure, there were yeah. women that were working. Yeah. Uh, and that held for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, I also knew many young people in my neighborhood, you know, say they were six or eight years older than I was, mm -hmm. who went in the service. You could join at 17, and they would join up and go in the service. Right. Uh, you we, were a bit too young I was, by I, the end of the war. Yeah. I was, well, yeah, I, I was. Yeah. Uh, my mother came from Rhode Island, and we used to go down there every year and visit. And I remember a couple of years we couldn't drive because it was gas rationing. And uh, so we took the train to Rhode Island to visit with her relatives, took my father's vacation. <clears throat> and I was down there when VJ Day was announced. So it was the end of the war. The and I can Japan. remember a spontaneous parade in this little town 
yeah. going down the street. My brother joined it. My cousin was playing his trumpet. And mm -hmm. it was just everybody was so happy it was finally over. Yeah. You know? Now, although I came from a fairly large family, I only had four first cousins, mm -hmm. two on my mother's side and two on my father's side. The two on my mother's side from Rhode Island, one became an officer in the Navy on a DE, and the other became an officer in the Marine Corps Flying Corsair planes, both in the Pacific. Uh, my male cousin on my father's side was in the National Guard from Medford, and they served, I think, in New Guinea, mm. where he, you know, he caught a fever. But, yeah. uh, and the third one was a woman, young lady in high school, who became a nurse's aide at Lawrence Memorial Hospital. Yeah. So it was everybody served somehow. Everyone was chipping in so that's on, this, right. on this effort. Yeah. Uh, in high school, I, in '46, when I started high school, mm -hmm. in my algebra class, we had veterans, people who came back from the war. Oh yeah. And they were sitting beside us because they had to take algebra, and that yeah. was the freshman subject in math. All right. And I can remember the instructor uh, was a little bit differential towards him, but very nice guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had a Memorial Day service on May 30th, and they asked everybody to wear their uniforms. And he showed up in a lieutenant's uniform in the Navy, and I found out he'd been sunk twice in the Pacific yeah. during the war and survived. And uh, What did you make of that? Oh, man, I thought, what a hero. I mm -hmm. mean, he was, and then he came back, you know. And uh, Did that inspire you in your later choices? I, I don't. A little bit. I mean, I, I tended with my two cousins, both one, one Marine, one Navy, to think well towards the Navy. Mm -hmm. But you had these veterans in high school, and yeah. that made a big image on you because they would they pretty much stayed to themselves, but mm. they would occasionally talk about things, you know. Mm. So I graduated in 1950. Uh, now, remember, at that time, there was a draft. I mean, uh, all men healthy were subject to yep. the draft. Right, and it was a peacetime draft at that particular It was a peacetime, peacetime yep. draft. It never, it's never stopped after World War II. They kept drafting, and they did for several years. So, so were you drafted, or did you? No, no. Yeah. Uh, I, at that point, I had to go down and register for the draft when I was 18. Mm -hmm. that, that was a given. All yeah. males had to go register. Uh, now, there are many ways you could avoid getting drafted. Uh, the first one is they didn't need everybody. So there were some people who didn't get drafted. They just lucked out in a way. Yeah. All right. Uh, there were other people who looked for alternatives. If you went to college, you could get a deferment as long as you maintained certain grades. All right. Now, I had fully intended to go to college. I wanted the University of Maine. I had worked summers in the lumberyard, saved money my father had saved. I could have afforded to go to the University of Maine on what I had saved. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I found out that the Navy was giving an exam, which was given by the Educational Testing Services of New Jersey, same people who gave college boards. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get into college, you're going to have to meet them. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity to get a practice exam. Mm -hmm. How different can they be? So I went down on a, on a Saturday morning to Portland High School and took the exam. And lo and behold, I got called and asked to go down to Boston for a physical, which I did. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I got appointed as one of eight people in the state of Maine to get a four-year scholarship fully paid to the college, one of 52 in the country of my choice. Yeah. And 
What did that mean to you? Well, it meant to me that I could go to a college other than the University of Maine. Not that I didn't yeah. like them, but I picked Tufts, which was pick, the yeah. closest college to where I lived that had a naval unit. Okay. In those days also, there was no, the other services did not have this program. They had ROTC, but it was a strictly a reserve one. The one I got, I had to go on active duty in the USN Navy, not the reserve, when I graduated. Okay. It was designed to get you in line with a Naval Academy graduate. They wanted people who would stay in the Navy. Okay. Right? So, so the idea was you go to get your four-year degree and then be, on, be an active. I mean, you're, or you're sort of active right away, but you're going to be a student for four years and then go serve? That's exactly right. Okay. All right. Now, I, the Korean War started, by the way. I got out of college. While you, while you in, were at Tufts, basically, it started? No, no, before? no. I got out of high school in 1950, yeah. June. Within a few days of that time, it could have been July, but no, no later, I came out of the State Theater in Congress Street, and the guy was hawking newspapers yelling, War in Korea. Mm. Well, I had taken the test. I knew what I was going to do. I knew I was going in the Navy. Yeah. So it didn't worry me. I was going to go, but I figured, well, I'll probably go faster. I may not get to go to college. I'd already signed my papers saying okay. to the Naval Reserve. But as it turned out, they got me to, I went to college, and they, in effect, said, no, you regular students are going to stay right where you are. Okay. Uh, we will be training you to be officers in the future. Uh, now, I became a midshipman at Tufts, and let's see, I, college courses that I took yep. were normal, mm -hmm. except I took one in naval indoctrination my freshman year, naval weapons the second year, navigation the third year, and then the fourth year, military law and naval leadership. Okay. So those, those are extra courses that I took. Now, I got college credit for those, too. Don't, don't get me wrong. They were mm -hmm. good courses. And uh, I had to go on a cruise every summer. No, that wasn't too bad, although he couldn't work in the summer, which I did when I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, so the first year I went on the USS Albany, a heavy cruiser, and we went to Copenhagen and Rotterdam. Not bad. Yeah, we you, always, you enjoyed. always ended up, though, at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba huh. because that's where we did our firing, down off Calibra. Okay. Uh, once you, you trained for eight weeks, basically, and you ended up down there to prove you knew how to fire the guns, you knew how to do some of these things. Okay. Now, the second year, I went on an indoctrination cruise to Little Creek, Virginia. Now, everybody did this, by the way. Okay, we yeah. all did this. To uh, Little Creek, where we learned about the Marines for three weeks, and we ran amphibious boats ashore, and we went out and spent a night on a troop carrier, and, and just got indoctrinated in the Marine Corps. Then they took us by troop movement down to Corpus Christi, Texas, where we learned about the Naval Air Corps. Mm -hmm. Now, because that's because there was potential when we got commissioned, we could ask to go Naval Air, Marines, or Surface Navy. So you had your choice. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> what did you pick? Surface Navy. Why? Why was that appealing? Well, I uh, my last trip was on the USS Iowa, mm -hmm. which is a battleship, and on that one we went to Edinburgh, and I got to take a train trip to London just after the Queen had been coronated. Mm -hmm. All the decorations were still there. Went out to Windsor Castle and all that sort of good stuff. And we went to Oslo, Norway, mm -hmm. right, which was a great trip. And back to Gitmo for yeah. firing 16-inch okay. guns this yeah. time. 
So, so that appealed to you all the travel? Well, the way I'll tell you, you what. Flight training that I went through, we, we flew our plane with a pilot and we did that. Yeah. I didn't really think that was too safe. Okay. The other choice, the Marines, well, I kind of like the Marines, but I, I like the surface Navy. So when it came time to elect, what do you want? Now, there's no guarantees you'd get it, but mm -hmm. I had been on two big ships, and I found those, those to be pretty crowded, and uh, you got a job, and that was it. Mm -hmm. So I elected to go on something I had never been on. I applied for destroyers, mm -hmm. and I got one. So I ended up going on a destroyer. The day I graduated from Tufts, the following day, I was on active duty. Wow. So this, uh, It's a big transition. Well, the sooner I got to my ship, the better off I was because every day before that counted as a day of leave that I hadn't even earned yet. Oh. You got 30 days a year, but you know you had to earn those. Okay. So, so you were hovering over there. So two of my fraternity brothers and I, we were all going in the Navy, all going to ships in Norfolk. They, they were both from New York. I yep. flew down from Portland to New York, met them. We all flew to Norfolk together, and we each joined our ships. Okay. Now... So I went to the USS Hainsworth, which had just come back from Korea. Okay. About two days before I got there. Yeah. How much of the Korean War was left to go at that point when you joined? Basically, it was over. Okay. I mean, as far as the... The, the, the act of fighting. Were, yeah, there was an armistice. The, the, ship had, the ship had gone over, participated in some of the actions, but then it had a collision with another ship mm. where a couple of guys were killed. And so it, was in the, it had been in the yards in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. oh, not in Tokyo, but in Japan for a while, and uh, then it came back. Okay, so now, that's when you joined. That's when I joined. Right now, I just wanted to tell you that here that uh, the, the ship was the USS Hainsworth DD seven hundred. Now they were basically in World War Two. These were World War Two ships, by the okay. way, and there were several classes of destroyers in World War Two. Mine was the Hainsworth, and that was. Uh, a class of ships that had twin-inch guns, twin three three sets of two two guns two, apiece. Two barrels. Yep. Yeah. Then there was the gearing class, which was like mine, which was a Sumner class. Mm -hmm. They were exactly the same for one thing. The class that I was on was called the short hull. The gearing was called the long hull, and the reason was is that when they built my ship, they were kind of still fighting a war in the Atlantic. So they didn't have to go too far. But when, the, when they got big in the Pacific, mm -hmm. the ranges are much greater, and mm -hmm. they needed to carry more oil. So what they did is they extended the length of the ship by putting oil tanks between the forward engine room and the after fire room, about 18, 20 feet. Yeah. So it extended. That's why it was called the, we were the, the short hull, they okay. were the long hulls. But right. other than that, they were the, the same, same basic yeah. ship. Okay. Uh, now, gotcha. that being said, uh, I served three years in the Hainsworth. Okay. All right. I got there, and I was there for three years. In fact, a little more than three years, because mm -hmm. I extended for a cruise. Joining the ship shortly after I did, a couple of months after, was a Naval Academy graduate from that year, an excellent officer. And this guy decided he wanted to go into submarines, which his captain had been in and during World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, and they became good friends. So his wanting to go to submarine school was paramount in the captain's mind. So mm -hmm. I kind of was the other regular ensign. The, the other ensigns that came that year were three of them. They were all reserve officers, but I had a regular commission. 
So I became the number two guy. Mm -hmm. Fortune smiles sometimes. So the captain decided this guy wanted to go to submarines. Best thing for him would become the anti-submarine warfare officer on our ship. So he was going to we because we were made, built to fight submarines. Okay. So he would get his experience there. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, one day, the captain called me and he said, "Harold, you're going to go to ASW school, anti-submarine warfare school." Okay, anti-submarine. I said, warfare. "Why?" Yep. Well, Tom, my friend from the Naval Academy, had been the co he'd been the captain of their swim team. Mm -hmm. And Des Lant, that was our type commander, mm -hmm. was fielding a swimming team that was taking place the same time as ASW school that, I, that they had a quota for. So he said, I can, the captain said, I cannot tell the admiral I will not send Tom. Okay. So I'm going to so send that, you to ASW so you, school, which oh, okay. was fortunate for me. It was the winter. I went to Key West, Florida for eight weeks. Yeah. And learned a lot. Had a, a nice lot. warm time. And while we were in the shipyard, yep. we got a new ASW suite, meaning anti-submarine warfare, sonar, and so forth, mm -hmm. which was the latest and most up-to-date that we had in our division. Yeah. So I became the ASW officer. Yeah. So in 1956, uh, we were deployed. Uh, oh, I, I should, should add that because we were a short hull yep. and we didn't have a lot of fuel, we became a part of a HUK group. What's a HUK? H-U-K. Yep. Hunter, killer, mm. uh, meaning we hunted for submarines and tried to sink submarines. That was our job. Okay. And there were hot. So now, whose whose submarines would you have, in theory, been looking for in that time period? Our so own. Your own. Oh, okay. So this is sort of drill. Practice. Drill That's based. right. Okay. That's okay. right. I can tell you a story about that too. Okay. Uh, okay. So. So we would operate with a carrier. Now, the advantage of that was when we went to sea, we could refuel from a carrier. They mm -hmm. carried so much oil that when we ran low, we would just pull alongside and put hoses over, and it would refuel at sea, and we could stay with them. And yeah. So if we had a big ship, we were happy-go-lucky. Okay. All right, and we could stay at sea. And we did. We steamed an awful lot in those days. Uh, but eventually Steamed we, means stay at sea? Stay at sea, okay. yes, yes. Okay, but in 1956, we deployed to the Mediterranean. Yeah. And uh, we were sent from the Mediterranean. We, we visited several ports. It okay. was very interesting. Uh, but we were sent down through the Suez Canal to the Persian Gulf because we maintained ships in the Persian Gulf to guard our oil interests mm -hmm. there. Uh, they were just there to show the flag and let people know down there that, hey, we're here if anything happens. Mm -hmm. And we went down through the canal. Interestingly, the British were running the canal. At uh, the canal time. was owned by the British and the French, by the way. And they had concluded a treaty with the Egyptians, I think in 10 years hence or something, it was supposed to revert to Egyptian yeah. ownership. Right, so we went down, and it was very hip, hip, ho, ho, the British, well, the British run things. So we got through the canal. We headed for the Red Sea. We got to the Red Sea, we visited Aden, we visited Bahrain, uh, we steamed mm. around the Red Sea. And two things happened while we were down there. One was there was a some sort of a natural, I don't know whether it was a hurricane or what it was, but in Afghanistan. So they, okay. we used huh. to, among those four ships, and we all steamed together, they used to carry a doctor. So uh, they transferred the doctor to our ship and our 
captain was the CEO of the two, um, took command of the two ships mm-hmm. that were sent over to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And the doctor came over with his, hey, we had short sleeve shirts, which weren't even a normal issue. They gave them to us. We had pith helmets because there was no air conditioning on the ship. So we were down there in the summer. We slept above deck. Yeah, we we just hot. never slept below decks. It was just hot. hot. There, was the, there was not one air-conditioned room on the ship. Mm-hmm. So we're headed for India, and then all of a sudden we get called back. The Afghanis didn't want us. They, mm-hmm. wanted, they, they didn't, some of them didn't like America, so mm-hmm. we came back. Well, we get back, and it's now time for us to shortly to leave. Yeah. The good thing was that when we were there running with two ships, our captain took it upon himself to run ship drills for mm-hmm. the officers. You, you don't usually have this time when you're steaming with a lot of ships, mm-hmm. but when you have individual ships, we would make, we would come up to the other ship and make passes on it, throw the lines over like we were going to refuel. Yeah. Then they would in turn do it to us. We would throw a buoy over, have man overboard drills and approach it yeah. and rescue the, the buoy yeah. and things like that. So we got a lot of training yeah. just because there was nothing else to do. Lots of training, yeah. All right. So we were told, to, okay, come back. So we came up to the canal and what had happened? The Egyptians had taken over the canal. Yeah. NASA had nationalized the canal, kicked the British and the French out. All right, so we came thinking we were going to go through at the head of what they called convoy. They had a bunch of merchant ships and put put military ships in the front. Yeah. When we went down, that's when the hip hip guys were running it. Uh, so we came back, and they wouldn't let us go. Mm-hmm. All right, so the State Department got involved, and uh, they. We were transferred, our two ships were transferred to the State Department mm-hmm. and uh, under their control, I should say. Okay. So the captain used to go ashore and negotiate with the State Department and the British, yeah. I mean the uh, Egyptians. Mm-hmm. So after three days of standing there with an Egyptian PT boat circling yeah. us, continuing to make sure we weren't going to be warry like, yeah. uh, we were told we could go. Mm-hmm. So, so we, the State Department got in there and negotiated, they negotiated. To, to get he, you guys The through. captain had to sign an agreement and the State Department that mm-hmm. the United States would be held responsible for any and all damage done to the canal during our passage, hmm. which we did. All right, because what they... No, why would you damage it? Well, Just the we, size? we didn't. You did not they damage it? They didn't know. It? See, they... Oh. The, the Egyptians thought of three countries. Oh, they hadn't been running to, it, so they well, didn't know. They, they, no, they thought of three countries okay. as allies, France, the United States, and Britain. Mm-hmm. Well, we were, but we were not the part owners of the canal like yeah. they were. So we just wanted to have free transit of the canal. We yeah. didn't care who owned it. Yeah. It was just, as far as we were concerned, we'd pay our fares to go through, and that's all we wanted to do. But they thought, oh, they were scared of us because, oh, boy, yeah. Now, what were they really afraid of? Well, let me tell you. I'll get to it in a minute. First thing we did is we arranged to man our guns going through the canal mm-hmm. because we didn't know what they were going to do. They put us at the end of the canal. Of the yeah. thing. And we were, spo- we were told, look non-obvious. So the only way you would know is I walked forward on the ship up to the bow and I took a picture of the ship looking aft and there's a thing we call tompions. A tompion is a plug that goes in the end of the gun barrel mm-hmm. to keep the seawater from getting in it. The tompions were not in the guns, which meant they were ready for it's action. It's more threatening, yeah. All right, but nobody would notice that. Okay. 
Then there was a guy on top of the main battery director. That was the place where they could flew the guns around left and right and mm -hmm. tell them where to fire and so on. And he was just out sunning himself, but I noticed he was wearing his earphones, you know, which yeah. meant he was in touch with the in parts of the ship and okay. very aware of what was going on. Yeah. I was back aft with a quad 40 millimeter mount. We had four barrels of 40 millimeter, and we had a gun shield around it. It was not in a, in a gun mount with mm -hmm. protection. So you were going through this canal a bit ready for something to possibly exactly, happen? Is that okay. Exactly. And hoping nothing did. Hoping, right. Well, there was one bridge that went across the canal, and that led over to the Sinai Peninsula. Now, in those days, Israel did not run the Sinai. The, the, the Egyptians owned the Sinai. It was their land. And what they really were afraid of is that we were going to damage that bridge. Mm because they were afraid the Israelis would attack. And if they didn't have the bridge to resupply, that was okay, it. Yeah. So when we got up near the bridge, all of a sudden, and there was sand on the side, you know, just the desert. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, some Egyptian guy stands up in the hill of sand, of, the hill of sand mm -hmm. blows a bugle, and I kid you not, a thousand other Egyptian soldiers stood up and aimed their rifles at us. Oh, wow. Now, I was, as I say, back aft, and uh, I had a set of headphones, too. Mm -hmm. And the word came, hold fast, stand fast, don't do anything. Yeah. So I said, look, guys, stay down, stay down. Now, we had we had actually had shells in the guns. Mm -hmm. So you could have. We just pointed out. Yeah. But, but you're so trying to. We tried. So we did. We stayed fast. They, mm -hmm. Luckily, nobody over there shot his rifle. Sure. And we just kept steaming right by, didn't damage the bridge. Mm -hmm. And we went up and we came out of the canal. Mm -hmm. Now, to show you how confusing things can get, we came out of the northern end of the canal and we had monitored the traffic. So we knew the Sixth Fleet, that was the fleet that was in the Mediterranean. We knew they were in Palma, Mallorca. Okay. So the captain said to the navigator, make a course for Palma. Mm -hmm. So the two of us ships just went steaming towards Parma. That's off of Spain, so we had to go across the Mediterranean a couple yeah. of days. So we pulled in on a Sunday. I was the CDO mm -hmm. at the time, that command duty officer. That means I could command the ship and yeah. everybody else went ashore. Yeah. Well, we'd been down there for so long, everybody wanted to go ashore, so they kept the minimal crew, which was basically a third of the crew, and I, mm -hmm. I was in command. At that point, I was a lieutenant junior grade. Okay. And uh, so... They went ashore, and the first one was the captain. He went out to meet the admiral. So he came back. So I said, well, captain, what are we going to be doing next week? Now, we thought we'd be steaming out with the Sixth Fleet because they always they stayed in port on weekends usually and went mm -hmm. out to sea. And he said, Harold, the admiral made a great decision, one of the best decisions any admiral's ever made. I said, mm -hmm. what's that? He said, he didn't know we were coming. The State Department never notified the Navy that they didn't need us anymore. As far as he was concerned, we were still down at the canal. Uh-huh. So he said, you know, you're not built into my op plan for the next week. Mm -hmm. Why don't you two little ships just stay here in Palma Mallorca by yourselves? Yeah. And the rest of the fleet will go. So you got kind of a vacation? Well, have you ever met, read Mr. Roberts, the book? Mm -mm. Well, if you have, they had one of these. Elysium was the island they went to, and it was beautiful after a tough time. That was our Elysium. Yeah. We went to the, we had the island to ourselves. We 
some of us from the ship met a Spanish couple that had a place. They mm-hmm. invited us out to their house. They had two good-looking daughters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we took them out to dinner at the local hotel one yeah. night, and we yeah. just got to know people. And so we had a week there that was just great Wow! before we had to come back to the country wow. states. I wanted to ask you a few questions, if it's all right. I know you mentioned at the beginning when we were talking that you feel like, in terms of who you are and your personality, uh, those years were very formative for you, you know, kind of being seeing the aftermath of the Depression or a little, yeah, living yeah. a bit of it and World War II and your Navy experience. So I guess I'm just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. How, do you, how, did, how did all this form who you are as a person? Well, I guess I didn't realize it was doing that. Mm-hmm. But right, I, sure. I, today I look at what's going on in the country and the world and I mm-hmm. say, you know, that's not, the, that's not the country I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a certain amount of of, uh, America first. Yep. Uh, there was a certain amount. Nobody was expecting a handout. I mean, if you went to work for the WPA, sure, you did some good work. You get paid. Mm-hmm. Not great, but, you know, you could live. You could make it. Uh, and I knew people that had worked for them. I knew guys that had been, uh, you know, in the CCC and yeah. watched them work. And, and I saw that what they produced. So it was not a waste. Roosevelt, basically, I guess, in my theory, he had a secretary of the Treasury named Morgenthau. Mm-hmm. Right. Morgenthau, I think, was pretty much a fiscal conservative. And I think Roosevelt was, too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the liberals that we have today. And, and I mean physically liberal. They felt you spent a buck, you got something for the buck. And that's, what they, that's the way they ran. They, they got us out of the Depression. The war actually got us out of the Depression. I mean, we were still living a little bit. We were recovering, but, mm-hmm. but when the war came, all bets were off. Everything went. There was a lot to produce. Sure. And, yeah. and And... But loyalty to the country was one thing. I mean, my relatives came from Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great-grandparents on my mother's side came and brought their children, who were mm-hmm. my grandparents, who I never knew. They died before I was born. But their goal was to be American, learn English, and so forth and yeah. so forth. Uh, the, on the other hand, my grandmother came from Germany. Mm-hmm. She came as a mom's help up to a prep yeah. school in New Hampshire. Uh, her family stayed in Germany, but she was the oldest girl. So the idea was, I guess, well, get, let her go to the United States. She met a German over here and had kids by him, mm-hmm. uh, and he died, and she met another a friend of his and married him. And so my father was brought up by his stepfather, and he said, couldn't have had a better stepfather. Yeah. You know? But they, the goal on all of their accounts was to become American, period. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that, and, and that all came out of this upbringing I had, I think, when... In school, we were taught loyalty, and we got to flag, salute the flag, and mm-hmm. we were taught, you know, you don't expect anything from the country that you're not willing to give to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's in a nutshell. That's how you feel. That's why I have the attitudes I have today. Okay. You know? uh, All right. So now, do you want to go back and tell us? Uh, yeah, you know, because I'm sure. In, I'll, I'll what get, are some What are some other highlights of your right, career? Well, it gets it goes downhill from there a little bit. However. We deployed to the Mediterranean again in 1957. Mm-hmm. At this time, we had a, a new captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he, we had a new captain, and he, I was at that point the longest serving officer on the ship. So he really treated me like I was, you know, something to be treated. Yeah. When, he, when anything yeah, happened, he'd call me and yeah. ask me things and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, 
So now these we, are kind of Cold War years, right? They in were. The 50s, now, now so. you asked the question earlier, and I'll tell you what the answer was. Okay. okay? So we were over in the Mediterranean now. Again, as an ASW ship, we were anti-submarine warfare. We yeah. were, so we, were, we had an exercise with a, putting a barrier control between two of the, I think it was between Sicily and one of the other islands in Italy. Okay. And uh, so we, the ships, the, the American ships were supposed to run a barrier. Our goal was to prevent submarines from getting through that barrier. Mm-hmm. Make sure that we could block off one end of the Mediterranean if we had to mm-hmm. from Soviet ships. Now, so we had American submarines over there, and they were going to be the they were going to try and get through. Now, I was the ASW officer. My job, well, I'll tell you, I won't, I won't tell you yet right now. No. <laughs> so I got off watch at midnight, and at two o'clock, bzzz, the phone rang in my room, mm-hmm. and it was the captain. He and he was a nice guy, but you know. So he called me up to his sea cabin, which was right up on the bridge, and mm-hmm. I came up, you know, tired as I was. And he said, Harold, he said, let me, let me see. Uh, as I understand the op order, meaning what we were supposed to do. Your mission, yeah. We're supposed to put a barrier up, and we're supposed to keep the submarines from getting through. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, and uh, if we get one, detect it, uh, we're supposed to uh, make an urgent attack and throw the, a hand grenade over and let him know, you know, when we would have, like, just, I mean, let him know we're there, but oh, the hand okay. grenade wasn't going to hurt him. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, he said, um, he said, have you ever been on a, a submarine that's been hand grenade? I said, sorry, yeah. I, mm-hmm. When I went to ASW school, we were down one day, and, well, how does it sound? Well, he said, depends on how close you are. I mean, the closer they are, the yeah. more it sounds like a big boom. Uh, he said, well, uh, he said, could a hand grenade be mistaken for a, we had hedgehogs too. There was a, there was a, a head firing bomb. Okay. We fired a patent ahead. Could that uh, be, you know, uh, confused with a hedgehog or a depth charge that we were carrying? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, Captain, I, I've never been down on a submarine that's been depth charged a hedgehog. I can't yeah. tell you what, what <laughs> it sounded like. I assume the closer, yeah. further away it was, it might sound the same, but if it got close, it's gonna, the, the hedgehog is going to kill him. You know? Yeah, okay. He said, well, my question is, is supposing it's a Russian submarine. We know they have them here. Supposing it's one of those that's trying to get through. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I said, Captain, as I see my job on this ship, now I felt pretty comfortable with him, so yeah. I would have said this otherwise. Yeah. My job as ASW officer is detect them, conduct an attack, which I would con, mm. and my men are to toss that hand grenade, and that's it. Yeah. Now your job is to worry about whether it's Russian or not. Right. And he just said, you're right, there's no good answer. Go to bed. Okay. <laughs> but he, he was up late worrying these things? He, he was. Yeah. He was a worry what? Nice yeah. guy. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, of all the captains I right. had, if I had a guy have a neighbor, neighbor, next door neighbor, he's the guy I wanted. Right. But, but. but now in terms of the consequences, so obviously you had been doing a, a lot of preparation up to that time oh, and training absolutely. and whatnot. But when you're out in the Mediterranean at that time, um, was it a, a real possibility that if a Soviet ship might have tried to get through and, and your ship submarine. would have? Yes, yeah, yes. Sorry, in fact, in fact we were in Turkey. No, on the you first didn't have orders to 
hold tight if you, you thought it know. was Russian? You didn't know. submarine, you didn't know. You didn't know. How do yeah. you know? I mean, they're, they're trying to be secretive. They're not going to tell you. Right, right. right. No, so I, did, I, I so did that. things like that happen in, and vice versa, that, that yeah. we would have done that to their submarines and they didn't? But all-out war obviously didn't break out. It was no, just it kind of the— it didn't. It didn't. Uh, no, let me tell you this. Uh, okay. Just back up a little bit. When I was there the first time, we were up to, to uh, Turkey, the capital of Turkey, up in the Dardanelles. Yeah. And seeming the, the Russians sent a cruiser and two destroyers down through. That was the first time that they were coming down to the Med. Up to that point, the Med had been ours. The Mediterranean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, now they were going to come down and make a show of presence. They were getting to be a little bit, you know. More okay. muscular. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were lined up, and, and we... Every officer was told, take your camera, take pictures of all these ships, these three ships coming down, every picture you can get. Yeah. Well, I'm the only one. I had bought my father a Kodak camera just like I had when I was in Europe. Mm -hmm. I took two of everything. Yeah. So I still have home my set of pictures of the Russian ships coming down. Oh, wow. I didn't turn them over. I just gave them the film that you I had needed my to, camera, and then you kept some copies. Kept one. Yeah, same so you thing. got some interesting souvenirs. But that, that's when we learned that they were coming down with surface ships, not okay. just submarines. They were okay. in there to stay. Okay. Okay? Yep. What else did you want to right. Now, let's see. Okay. I extended to yep. finish that cruise, and I got released from the Navy. Okay. All right. And yep. I came out. Yeah. Oh, want me to just finish a little bit about the reserve and what I did here? Um, yeah. I got out of the Navy. Yep. Uh, and, what, what, uh, what year? Oh, this was 1957. Drove home to Maine. Yeah. Now, were you excited, relieved, or how did you? How did you remember how you felt making that transition? Kind of empty because yeah. I, I had no job to go to. I mean, Not I yet. was just yep. going home. Yeah. However, I had only I had only taken of the ninety days leave I had earned in yep. three years, thirty days a year. I had fifty nine and a half on the books, so oh, wow. to speak. So yep. I, they owed me two months salary. Salary. So you had a buffer there. So I had a buffer. So yep. I said, you know, I haven't been home. I'm going home. Yeah. So I went home to Maine. I'm just going to spend the summer at home. Well, after watching Jack Carson for a while at night and mm -hmm. coming down here, I was dating a girl in the Boston area and so on. Uh, I said, well, I've really got to think about this. So yeah. I came down to Tufts and I went to the employment gal. And uh, she said, well, I can get you an interview, but I'm going on vacation, so I'll set it up. She set it up with a telephone company. I said, wait a minute, my father. I, uh, oh, she said, yeah, well, you look, wanna... just do that because they're just a big company. And uh, she said, do it because their interview will be a good one, and it will be just like any other big company, mm -hmm. and there will be good practice for you. When I come back, we'll get together because I'm still looking two months off. So I came down. and uh, To Massachusetts. Yep, yep. And had my interview, and uh, they announced that they had no openings because they had hired all their college hires, mm. and they thanked me for coming, and that was it. So I went home. Thinking, yeah. Well, another month. Well, about a week later, I got a call, and they said, could you come down again? And they said they had had a guy, and this, again, is this era yeah. that we're in. They had a guy who they had hired, college hire, in the directory department, which I knew nothing about, uh, who got drafted. Huh. So they had an opening for a yeah. college hire in their college training program. Mm -hmm. So would I be interested in coming down to interview for that? So I said, sure. Yeah. Why, what can I lose? Right. So I came down. I took the interview. They took me out to lunch on State Street. The guy said, uh, we've decided we'd like to pick you up. When could you come? And I said, well, I had this two months leave. Uh, probably right after Labor Day would be great. Mm -hmm. The guy looked at me and he said, we had in mind next Monday. <laughs> it was Thursday. Yeah. And I said, oh, I got to make it. I said, well, okay, what, if I don't like it, I can always quit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I came with him and I stayed with him for 
37 years. 37 years, wow. Yeah, yeah. So then I started saying, well, I like the Navy, so look for the Navy Reserve. So through, through the telephone company, I met a guy, I just happened to meet him. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking, having coffee, and I said, yeah, I get out of the Navy. He said, oh, you were, well, really? I said, I have a, I'm a CO of a reserve unit that meets out in Lynn. Yeah. Are you be interested if I have an opening? And I said, yeah. So about four months later, I get a call. He said, this is Joe Surrett. He said, uh, if you're interested, come on out. Yeah. We drill on Wednesday nights or whatever it was. And I said, so I drove out. I was living in Cambridge at the time. Yeah. Medford, Medford at the time. So I drove out and, and I got in that unit. Yeah. And uh, So now how did that work? Well, you have a, obviously a full-time job and you're in the reserve. So how do you balance the time? Well, or how in does this that... case, that's a good question because that, had a, that was a problem for me. Yeah. But in this particular case, they drilled on Wednesday nights. And yeah. I was working in Boston. So it was no problem. Okay. All right. So I, I just went Wednesday nights, and that was it. Yeah. The, the good part of that was I had to go. I went to two schools. The first school they sent to me was just about the Naval Reserve. Okay. What your responsibilities are and so yep. forth. And that was training, how to train people, too. Okay. The guy that taught it was a Ph.D. Mm. in education. He was an officer in the Naval Reserve. Yeah. Great. He was good, yeah. Talk. He gave me the word Tommy Pasta. I won't tell you what it is, but it's an acronym. And if he said, if you follow this, you can't fail in training. Okay. I did. Okay. And that pays dividends later. Okay. The second one I went to was COXO school the following year, two mm-hmm. weeks. What's that? How to be a commanding officer okay. or the executive officer. Yeah. Meaning the admin part of the unit, how to run it. Okay. So I had those two as my first two classes. Most people didn't do that. I was lucky. So I, I knew a lot about the reserve that other people didn't know. Okay. So, but eventually I got transferred to Rhode Island for the telephone company. I drove from Providence up to Lynn, went to drill, no no 95 in those days. Yeah. Drove back. Yep. Fell asleep at my office desk the next day. Yeah. I called my boss in the Navy Reserve and I said, I can't do it. I've got to. I've got yep. to get out of the unit. I have to take. I'm sorry, but you yep. know, I just can't. I, I mean, I could have gotten killed coming back. Mm. So he said, "I understand." So I, I get out. But I kept taking correspondence courses, which is another way you could stay in the reserve, but okay. not drilling. So I did that for oh, a while. Okay. Well, then I came back to Boston, and I got a job that required night work. I met a guy there that I had known through that first unit. Uh, who I, got, I actually got him an interview with a phone company. He came to work with him, so I met this guy, and he said, oh, hell. He said, I'm in a new unit now, inshore undersea warfare. They meet on Deer Island. South of Boston. And, yeah, yep. and, and they drill weekends. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, that's okay. I can do that. Yep. I was still single. You know? yeah. So I went with that unit, and I drilled there. Now I'm getting a little long in the tooth in terms of being a lieutenant. Say, okay. and, uh, so... I, they, I, they said, well, we can't keep you in, anymore. You had, to, you had to get out of a pay billet. If, um, you, were, if, you, were, if you approached you had, lieutenant you had... and you, you should, I was approaching lieutenant command, you had to get out. Well, so I called a guy that had been a shipmate of mine on the ship I was on, who mm-hmm. was in Bupers at Washington, and I said, Bill, I, this, I'm, this is what I'm faced with in the reserve. And he said, I don't know anything about the reserve. I'm just active duty. He was an active duty mm-hmm. career guy. But let me talk to my reserve coordinator, and I'll tell you what he says. So he talked to his personnel guy on the reserve side. 
And he called me back. He said, hell, he said, he said the only way to, for you to get a real good job is, or get promoted is, get one of the three jobs in the reserve that are good. CO, XO, or training officer. Mm -hmm. Those are the three top, because the reserve was to train, basically. So, so I went to my boss there, and I said, look, boss, I said, uh, I got a deal for you. Mm -hmm. I said, will you be willing to make me training officer? And he said, why would I do that? And I said, because I'll drill for non-pay. I, I won't, yeah. I'll just drill non-pay. If you make me training officer, I can't turn you down. Hmm. What a great deal. Okay. Well, I got hmm. the training officer job, so my next fitness report goes in saying training officer done a great job. Yeah. I got promoted to lieutenant commander. Okay. But then I'm out of a billet because they didn't have billets for lieutenant commanders in the unit. Yeah, right? what's a billet? Sorry. A billet is a job, you know, an oh, open, okay. a job opening. Job opening, position okay. So, so I... So you, you got kind of promoted out of a job because yep. they didn't have an so opening. So another job. guy that I had met at that unit, yeah. uh, he got to be CEO of a unit in Lynn that uh, was a surface division, and he said, Al, I need an XO. Yeah. I had that course at XO. He said, could you come and, and take that job? I took it. Yeah. But then I became the CEO. So I became the commanding officer. So now I had command of a unit, and uh, yeah, and what so was forth. was that a rewarding job for you? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed the people. I mean, we, you know, uh, so I, I just want to mention it. So it, as yeah. in, in one of those jobs, the other thing I had to do, I want to go to sea. Uh, you still wanted to go to sea. Yeah. So keep my, you know. So I, I got a yeah. job on. The, I got one of my act dutras two weeks. Ago. I went to the USS Conway. Which I have a picture of here somewhere. Okay. Over that. Oh, is this it here? That's it. Okay. Now that was a Fletcher class that was built in '51. That's older than the ship I was on. Okay. And it was modified. This is called Weapon Alpha. They took one of the things off there. So that was it. Called it. They changed the name of it. Five O Seven D D E. That's a destroyer escort. Okay. Not a DE, which was a smaller ship, but a DD, bigger ship, escort. Okay. Meant you were escorting other ships. Why? To keep submarines away. Okay. So they put a weapon alpha on there, which could fire missiles ahead. Yeah. And try and sink a submarine. A little mm -hmm. more sophisticated than I had. But yeah. I was an ASW officer, so it worked out well. Yeah. Know? Okay. So I went on that ship, got my two years. And so I tried to keep a balance. Between, and, yeah, sort of civilian yep. life and, and work and, yep. and your Navy career. So I wanted to ask you, um, as you look back on your career, your long career uh, you know, in the Navy, what are you most proud of? Oh. Or what was, the, yeah, let's I, stick with that one. I, I think, realistically, the people that served under me, mm -hmm. by and large, many of them have kept contact with me and thanked me for the experience I gave them. Mm -hmm. That means more to me than anything. Yeah. So you were you were a good trainer and, and mentor? Yeah. I, I, and eventually, commander. I got promoted to captain. And captain. I got okay. command of a unit, yep. went to Europe on a NATO war game at the end. Mm -hmm. That was the end of my career, though. I, I wanted to retire from the reserve before that, and mm -hmm. they prevailed on me to take command of a second unit. I'd, yeah. had, I'd had the one that was going to mobilize in, in Bayonne, mm -hmm. and they had a new unit that was going to mobilized in Holland. So when the war game came up, I had to go, which is fine. Uh, but uh, I came back and I said, I'm retiring. Yeah. So I could have stayed another year because I in command, but I just said, no, I'm getting old. I was 
49 or 50 years yeah. old. And so the routine, the change yeah, in routine said, wasn't you know, working I'm not, for you. I'm not so up to what I used to be in some of this yeah. stuff. And you've yeah, got to be, yeah. you've got to, it's a young man's play. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a physical job in it a way. Is, it yeah, is, it yeah. takes a lot out of you. Pl- plus on um, separation, I imagine, from family, yeah. you know, comes into play. Well, we only had the one daughter. And yeah. you know, I get married. I was I was uh, 39 when I get married. She oh, was okay. 37. So, yeah, it wasn't any jump in type of thing. Yeah, yeah. You knew what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I ask how you met your wife? Or oh, that's a good story too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I had a fraternity brother who also went in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Lives in Rhode Island, and that's where I'm. So when I go on vacation, I go visit him. Mm-hmm. So we just got in the habit of going to the Boston Pops on the Esplanade when Arthur Fiedler was conducting it, and we'd bring a lunch. And you, in those days, if you had a bottle of wine, nobody bothered you. You know, mm-hmm. we just sit there on a rug, and so I got a date. And uh, we met, and we sat there, and uh, turns out the date I had, I met in a dark. Uh, what do you mean? She was a little younger than I thought she was. Okay. And when we arrived, she wanted to know if I had any drugs. And I just said, uh, sorry, we don't do that. Yeah. You know, but I tried to think, well, this other lady, let's say my wife, mm-hmm. came future, with yeah. her friend Fat Betty, a ton of fat, but good, good person, but and her niece from California. And it was getting kind of crowded at that point. We'd kind of finished our meal, and they kind of sat a little bit on our... Blanket. Blanket. Yeah. Well, when we all stood up, when they played the national anthem, she sang, and I said, you got a great voice. Mm. So I just turned around to her and I said, did you go to the conservatory? She said, no, I didn't. That was it. Yeah. But my friend's wife, at the end of the concert, said, here's her card. Give her a call. Ah, so you had and a... She talked. Yeah, somebody intervened and, and, on your behalf. And, well, and she, that girl was always trying to fix me up with somebody. Oh. I went out with her hairdresser. I, went out. I mean, you <laughs> name it. Yeah. yeah. So I gave her a call, and she was busy. Yeah. She was a personnel director at the Baptist Hospital, and she said, I've got a convention going on, and I can't have any time. So yeah. I said, do you mind if I call back? Mm-hmm. No. So I called her a week or so later, and I called her. And we went up to East Gloucester to the art colony at dinner. And coming on the way back, she said, you know, I don't think I'll ever get married. Hmm. And I said, I always plan to. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So we started dating, and it turned out she was, I was brought up as a Lutheran, and I'm not a great practicer anymore, but so was she. Mm-hmm. She had Swedish ancestry. Uh, mine was half Swedish. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot in common. common. And yeah. we started, so in, it was 11 months later, we got married. Ah, terrific. So it worked out. Very good. And how long have you been married now? Give or take. <laughs> well, I let's see. I was 39 when we get married, and I'm 87 now. Yeah. So you figure it out. All right. I'll do the math later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not I, on that's the fly. Where I am yeah. Too. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Congratulations. And um, I guess just in a sort of a wrap-up question, yep. Yep. Um, I guess I'm wondering. You know, you've, you're someone who's been around since the 30s, and you've lived a, a long life and had a successful career and, and a family. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts for the next generation or advice, and you can either think in terms of you know your own family, things you'd want to say to them, or just or just advice in general for young people, maybe. Well, nobody's going to like this. I would say, and and I ended up in computer work, doing defining program, computer programming. Oh, you were a programmer. I was not. Oh. I defined what they needed to do. Oh, more of a business analyst. And then analyst. they had a programmer. Yeah, yep. I did that too for a while. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I would say that number one, 
no kid gets to see a computer until he's 10. Mm -hmm. All right? They, I mean, I go into places now and you have a two-year-old sitting there on the floor with a computer. They don't learn how to talk. They don't learn how to anything. I mean, it, it's, it's a terrible thing, I think. I mean, it just, and it shows itself through society now. I mean, nobody wants to engage in conversation or whatever. So you delay that. Okay. So I would delay that. And the other thing is, I would say, is what the draft said when we had a draft was not everybody is needed, but if called, you have a duty to serve. Mm -hmm. There are people out there who don't think they have a duty to do anything in our country's behalf. I mean, and I think that is a bad thing. I mean, we all lived under those conditions, and I think they were good for the country. And you know, everybody the, the wasn't needed, but they, they, when, yeah. if you if you get called, you win. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Oh. Let's say that this. I get calls from Trump all the time. I mean, you get I get them from him, who's got some terrible tirade at six o'clock at night. I get them from some group that wants to raise money for them, and I say the same thing. You know, I'll tell you, I voted for him. But he would not have been my first choice, but he was better than the competition. I mean, I, th I think that the Clintons are terrible, you know, in terms of their honesty and a lot of other things. But I don't think Trump is a great president. He's, he's doing some good things, but if he'd keep his mouth shut, you know, and I just say he, he never, he has never had to learn to be obsequious to anybody in his lifestyle. You need some, you need a little bit of that. You know, hey, it's your, it's your world too, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, it's not just my ideas. What, what do you think? And I don't think he's got that. I think he's do it because that's where he wants it done. Okay. Yeah. All right. Any, well, I was just going to say to you, any, um, any final thoughts? Living in Belmont has been a good experience. Yeah. We've had good neighbors. Uh, we, on our street, Bay State Road, we still have a block party. We had one last week. We close it off. Everybody gets together. We share and share alike, and oh, everybody tries to be good neighbors. So yeah. just I think there's a lot more of that needed. You should know your neighbors. You should know the people, and uh, knowing them is to like them. Yeah. All right. Well, terrific. Thank you very much for coming well, in. We really you. appreciate thank getting you your, your thoughts me. and memories. Yeah. Okay.